and we welcome you to the Wednesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. I am delighted this morning to be reconnecting with a very good friend to the morning show, uh, therapist Amy Champeau. Uh, Amy Champeau currently is living and working in Tucson, Arizona, continuing to do her work as a therapist, albeit online, as so many people are doing their work online during this COVID-19 crisis. And I'm, I'm very appreciative to uh, Amy Champeau for agreeing to uh, join me on the morning show to offer some of her perspectives on what this experience is in effect doing to us. Not that all of us are experiencing this in exactly the same way. And some of us are experiencing very different losses from what other people are. And there's probably a, a few people who find actually what we're going through to be in some ways largely positive and therapeutic, believe it or not. But I think it's far more common for this to be a, a disturbing and troubling and frightening time uh, that is uh, difficult for all of us to endure, in, in part because uh, this is so new to all of us. None of us have ever experienced exactly this uh, kind of uh, experience or crisis before. So uh, Amy Champeau is going to be talking through some of what we are all experiencing and uh, share some thoughts on how we can perhaps uh, better cope with what we are experiencing, especially if we are in a situation or scenario that is especially uh, frightening. Amy Champeau, we welcome you back to The Morning Show. Thanks, Greg. It's great to be here. I'm very, very happy that we can uh, have this conversation. Um, can you just say a quick word before we start talking about COVID about your life in Arizona? I mean, before the crisis, when was it that you relocated to, uh, to Tucson, Arizona? And uh, what has life been like for you there? So I, uh, life events took me to Tucson a couple of years ago. Um, I started over, opened a practice here, and I, um, I'm hoping to move back to the Midwest. But for right now, I'm here. And uh, I work as a psychotherapist and a Jungian, J-U-N-G, like Carl Jung, Jungian psychoanalyst here in Tucson. I have, I actually had a private practice in person, but when this all hit, the landlady that I was renting an office space from closed permanently. So I actually don't have a physical office to go back to at this point. Um, but anyway, so I'm living here. I live actually alone. So that's one of the things that I'm facing in terms of, you know, each of us is facing this situation with a different set of set of life, you know, life situations. So some of us are living alone. Some of us are living with other people. Some of us are working from home. Some of us aren't working. Um, I'm fortunate to be able to work at home. I've transitioned some of my clients to working on Zoom and FaceTime. Some of them didn't choose to do that. So it's a change, change for me, change for them. Um, so uh, so it's, it's all new. Mm. Right. And, and I'm glad you're, you're kind of reiterating what I said in the introduction, that, that this crisis, in a sense, for as indiscriminate as it is, uh, is not being experienced in exactly the same way by by all of us. We are experiencing it according to who we are and where we are and our own life's uh, circumstances. You mentioned before uh, we went on the air 
uh, in, in kind of a document that you shared with me, that actually for you, anxiety has been something of an issue, something with which- Yes, I- <laughs> And uh, so it's really intriguing uh, to, to be talking to you now about a situation that by its very nature is uh, generating tremendous anxiety for all kinds of, of, of people. How would you say your own past history uh, as a highly anxious person has, has both uh, hindered and helped the way that you have responded to this current situation? Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to talk about that. Um, I think I've, just for people that are listening, I've been anxious most of my life. I mean, I've had a very successful life. I've accomplished a lot. Um, but I've also been aware of the discomfort of anxiety. If I were going to give myself a diagnosis, it would probably be something like generalized anxiety disorder, which is a low-grade sort of underlying always-there feeling of anxiety. Um, and that is um, one of the definitions of anxiety, actually, is that it's not so specific. It's a diffuse um, underlying experience where fear is something more specific. And then panic is an extreme feeling of fear that has to do with being threatened or feeling some life threatening. So I've experienced pretty much all of that. Um, I've had some experiences in my life that have um, increased my anxiety about when I first came to the Racine area, actually, I came there because I had so many losses in my life and I moved there really quite destitute, almost homeless and had and started my life over. So the Racine and Kenosha area was a new home for me. And um, during that time, of loss, my anxiety was really extreme to the point that I was physically shaking a lot. And I was also calling crisis lines every night because I didn't, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. Um, and so actually that experience was very personal to me, which this experience of COVID-19 is not personal because we're all going through something at this point. Um, so having had a trauma like that, it has helped to prepare me and it has also made me vulnerable in this particular situation. So what I like to think about when I was, so in my own dealing with, um, this pandemic, first of all, I, I was looking at the news in February and I saw what was happening in China. So right away, my anxiety started ramping up even then. And I remember that I traveled, I had, I, my mother had a 90th birthday, and so I was going to travel by plane to see her. It was the middle of February, and I had some masks that I brought with me, because I had heard about this, and my anxiety was already starting to come up. But I didn't see any people wearing masks, so I thought, okay, Amy, you're a little more anxious than other people. I kept my, the masks in my backpack, and I didn't use them. But then around the beginning of March, I started really seeing how, how it was coming to this country and my anxiety really came up. And I remember on March, right around March 5th, I read an article from The Atlantic that said, if you can work from home, the time to do it is now. 
So the next day I transitioned because, you know, before that I had hand sanitizer in my office and I was doing social distancing. But when I read that article, it was like something inside of me just a little panic happened. And I was like, okay, now's the time, you know, now I'm going to do take this extra precaution. And, um, but so from my, um, like when I was going through this current situation, I thought to myself that we talk about people being at risk for underlying medical conditions. And I also thought that we can have underlying psychological conditions that make us more vulnerable in a situation like this, or that make us more hardy in a situation like this. Mm. So the first couple of weeks that I was experiencing this, I was really in a, in a state of extreme fear about what was going to happen. I'm 68. So even though I'm in excellent health, you know, I was hearing a lot of things about how people over 60 are at a big risk. And I was, you know, I was imagining the worst, which is something that people do when they're anxious as they think about the future in kind of a worst case scenario. Um, But I also recognized that I had tools from having gone through a lot of loss in my life. And I started to, after I got a hold of myself, which we can talk a little bit about today, how people can get a hold of themselves, then I started using those tools and I came to a much calmer place, which is where I'm at now. So, and I think that um, because of my anxiety, I was I think I was a little bit ahead of the curve with how people are feeling in regard to this. So... So I've been able to track, at least inside of myself, a process that some people might be going through in terms of dealing with this new normal or new situation. Hmm. And any time that something is new, we are going to feel something. You know, we're probably going to feel some kind of anxiety or some kind of excitement or something when there's something new. You uh, you wrote that uh, because you have this history of anxiety yourself, uh, it in a sense makes you uh, the ideal guinea pig <laughs> in terms of 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 having made use of some of the tools that you're going to be uh, talking about today. You also said, and I I thought this was so interesting that that t- to some extent I think all of us are are afraid at the moment. Uh, probably afraid of different things. I think some people are very afraid of catching this virus or afraid that their loved ones are going to catch this virus. And, and for other people, maybe their fear is more about how our lives have been disrupted and our economy uh, crippled and, and what those ramifications are. There's, there's a lot to be <laughs> frightened about. But you tell us that actually some of that fear, what feels like fear, is actually grief. Explain to our listeners what you mean by that, the kind of grief that uh, many of us are experiencing right now that we might not even realize is grief. Yeah, so um, this is this was actually something that I read. There's, there are so many good articles and uh, advice situations online that are coming through. And just a little, I wanted to just say that if... Um, I have a bunch of handouts and resources and references. So if anybody that's listening um, would like those in a hard copy 
format. I can send them to them um, in a document if they email me so they don't have to remember all of this. Um, but there was a really good article that I read that, that, that I think the title of it was that uncomfortable feeling you're experiencing now is likely grief. Mm. So one of the, um, I was actually participated in an online retreat recent, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that they had us do was to list everything that has changed for us in the last month. So, I mean, I had, I have it here somewhere, a whole page of things that had changed from big to little, you know, the vacations that have been canceled, the fact that the unknown, whether we're going to see somebody again, what, you know, what the future's going to be like, that we're working from our home, or maybe we're not working at all. So these are losses. Hmm. So when we... Um, so what the article was talking about was something called anticipatory grief, which is the, the feeling of loss to come. And so, um, so that's connected with fear, but it's so partly we have the fear in the present of what we're experiencing. We have the losses that we're experiencing in the present of whether, whether they're going to be lasting forever or not. We have losses now. Loss of freedom, you know, loss to go where we want, loss to go naively to the grocery store, you know, loss of being able to get what we need and these kinds of things. And then we have, the, so there's grief in that. And then there's the grief about what's going to happen, what's going to happen to ourselves, what's going to happen to people that we love, what's going to happen to our world as this all changes. And um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross had these five stages of grief. Hmm. Many of the listeners might be familiar with. So the first one, and I've seen this happening in my clients and in myself, and people are at different stages of that along the path. And also they sort of, they're, they're not a linear path so that we can go back and forth between them. But the first one that I saw in my clients was a lot of denial, you know, and we could see that in the outer world too, maybe we even heard from at the beginning that this was nothing more than a flu, you know, that um, life is as normal, nothing's going to happen to me. And, and actually, in some of my clients, even though I'm talking to them, and I always want to see how this is affecting them, some of them are not talking about this at all. You know, they're worried about their relationship. They're, they're pretty much doing the same thing they were doing before. And then we have this feeling of like bargaining, which is, well, maybe if I do all these right things, then everything will be okay and things won't hurt me. Um, and then we eventually go through some stage. There's, there's a stage of anger and then there's a stage of depression or sadness, which is where some of the grief, actual grief feelings can come in. And then we can come to a stage of acceptance. Like I've done what I can do. You know, I'm doing the best I can. Um, there are things that I don't have control over and I accept that. You know, I, I get into a state, kind of a state of living more fully with whatever is unknown. So that's something about the grief. Yeah. We're speaking with therapist uh, Amy Champeau. Uh, this is via Zoom from uh, her home in Tucson, Arizona, where she currently lives and works. And uh, Amy Champeau is uh, talking us through this 
current situation in which we all find ourselves and uh, some of the stresses and fears that all of us to varying degrees are, are experiencing. Uh, Amy Champeau, I really appreciated some of what you wanted to say that casts fear in a much more positive light. That is, uh, at least in certain scenarios, it's, it's, it's very common to think of fear as something that's, I mean, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself and, and other ways in which fear will be characterized as something, in a sense, best avoided or suppressed or conquered. Um, and uh, I think you want to characterize fear as something that certainly can be a problem, certainly can be a negative force in our lives, but that fear is also something that uh, we need to accept and to some extent even uh, embrace. Uh, and I know one of the first things you want to tell us about is how fear is natural and appropriate. Tell us more about that. Yes, so fear is, so I'm not a brain specialist or a specialist in how the brain works, but we can kind of think about the brain as operating um, in two different areas. One is an area deep within our brain that gives us an alert. So we want to have an alert. You know, our brain gives us an alert, a little place in the brain called the amygdala, tells us when there's a threat. We should know that there's a threat. And we should know that fear is there to wake us up and protect us. So we could worry now about whether people have, I mean, we need a certain amount of fear to navigate life. Um, you know, if, if, if we're getting near the edge, edge of a cliff, we should have some fear that, you know, if we go too far, something's not going to be good. You know, we, something could happen to us. that's painful or scary. And so there is an intelligent part of ourselves that lets us know when there's danger. Um, and then there's another part of our, our brain that is um, like the watchtower. So that's more in the front of the brain. I'm kind of pointing towards my forehead right now as we talk. And, um, and we want these two parts of the brain to talk to each other. So we want the part of the feet, the part of the brain that says, Hey, danger, danger. But then when that gets too overwhelmed or too big and the front part of the brain isn't there to help to have a conversation with it, then that can really take over and bring us into some of these, some of these states where our nervous system, where our bodies, where our minds are taken over. And that's what, so I think in our culture, I think that there's a feeling that fear is a bad thing. But, and in these days, fear, fear is something to be grateful for. <laughs> I mean, fear that can help us to put on those masks and go to the grocery store, you know, and even though we don't want to be doing that, but we should have a certain amount. I mean, we have a sort of invisible, invisible enemy that we're dealing with and we need to, have our, our heightened awareness, which is what fear does. You know, it perks us up and heightens our awareness so that we're vigilant and we can look around and say, oh yeah, you know, I better be careful. I better see where my hands are going or what, what I'm touching. But then, um, but we want to also be able to bring online the, the part of the brain that is able to help that scared part of the brain to have some kind of functioning. And, and so 
Um, so when we're overwhelmed with fear, then that dialogue doesn't take place quite as well. And so one of the things that I like to help people with, and, and let me just back up. So if you're somebody like me who has underlying anxiety conditions, when that part of the brain goes off where it's saying danger, danger, it can be, it's not just often the current situation where the danger is being felt, but a lot of past old stuff might be coming up too. So that if somebody has had losses in the past or, you know, financial difficulties or health problems or something, and those, and something like this presents a threat, then that big danger sign can get really huge. And it can be, and the past and the present can be sort of mushed together. And so it can feel a lot bigger and be harder to get like the practical side of ourselves online. We can become, so when that happens, when that part of our brain gets really lit up, then we can go into a series of um, responses, which people are familiar with as fight, flight, and freeze. So fight is when we think we can do something about it. You know, we're going to go out and do battle. Flight is when we're thinking, well, we can't do anything about it, so I'm going to run away. And freeze is when neither of those things is working and we're going to shut down. Mm. So, so actually, those are sequential in a way that the first thing we try to do is to do the fight. You know, we want to get out our saber sword, you know, and do whatever we're going to do. But the freeze is, and freeze is something that I experienced when the anxiety of this hit me was, and some people might be experiencing that in their lives now. It's the kind of thing where I think many people are experiencing like their functioning is lower. They can't figure out, you know, where the day went. You know, one day I was happy that I had dealt with my mail and that's all I could deal with, just the stress of going to get my mail and figuring out how much disinfecting I needed to do about the mail. And, and, and I, I'm doing a lot of writing now and I had this line that I wrote in one of the little essays that I wrote. It was, um, a competent and productive woman congratulates herself today on getting her mail. You know, it's like the level of competence that I'm used to and now is not so, ex is much better now than, at the be than a month ago when I started into this. But part of that is the freeze that's coming over us is that, you know, we're sort of like looking around like deer in the headlights, you know, and, and all of that. So you're, uh, you're touching on, of course, what is for a lot of people, one of the strangest things about this, and that is for many people, and, and even for some people working from home, it's perhaps not quite the same as when they were working uh, in their office uh, eight to four or nine to five, uh, that, that even, not, not for everybody, but certainly for some people in that scenario, they nevertheless have more time on their hands than they have ever had in their adult working lives. And of course, some people are in the unhappy situation right now of being furloughed or laid off, not, not working and having all kinds of time to fill. And, uh, and of course, one of the most tempting things to do is to turn to simple distraction to find anything that will distract us from what makes us uncomfortable in this current situation. Uh, is distraction okay? Or is, distraction in and of itself, something that we have to be, in a sense, careful about or worried about? 
I think it's, I think both. I think these days we do need some distraction. You know, a good coping mechanism is to find some healthy distraction, like finding some humor, watching something funny or, you know, um, but we also want to be careful. I think these, I think whatever a person's vulnerabilities are now or, or a person's vulnerabilities were are probably going to be heightened by this situation. So if you were a person like some of my clients who um, used food or other things to soothe themselves, that might be a way that people, people might use or default to old coping mechanisms. And sometimes those are helpful and sometimes they are not helpful. And sometimes there's a matter of degree about how helpful they can be. So um, I heard this, that we can think about two aspects of the choices we're making in terms of how we use our time. One can be distraction and the other can be resource. So a resource is something that brings us more into ourselves, like the truth of ourselves and brings us to something that can be helpful. Is this, is this creating a shift in me? Am I becoming more empowered? You know, is this helpful to the people around me? Um, And versus a distraction, which can be again, useful in a certain dose, but let's say that we're paralyzed and all we're doing all day is watching Netflix. I mean, I think that would be a distraction rather than a resource. And it's not something that we need. These days, we need to be really kind to ourselves. Like if we're watching a movie in the middle of the day, and we never did that before, because we worked from nine to five, and that was just not something we did, then I think we can cut ourselves some slack and really be compassionate with ourselves. Still, at some point, this is going to be over. And we're going to be emerging. And we hopefully are going to emerge more, you know, not regressed. I mean, hopefully we're going to emerge at least stable in some way. And so this is an opportunity to learn how to do that. Hmm. I think... uh one of the most difficult things about this situation in which we find ourselves is that at least a lot of us at certain points have a sense of powerlessness, that there is this thing out there, even though it's a tiny virus, the scope of it is, is enormous and, uh, and, and beyond our, our capacity to, in a sense, directly control. Not that there aren't all kinds of practices that, uh, we can uh, that that we can embrace uh, in order to try to keep ourselves and our loved ones as safe as possible. But nevertheless, uh, a lot of us feel rather powerless and rather helpless, uh, and, and 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 quite vulnerable in a way that most of us are not used to feeling on a day to day basis. Especially, um, I think one of the things you want to tell us is about how in this moment of powerlessness. One of the powers that we nevertheless do retain has to do with ourselves and managing ourselves in this moment. Tell us more about what you want us to think about in this respect. So um, we, 
so now, like you said, that we feel like there's a lot that we don't have control over. And um, I was reminded of a story I heard about the um, meditation teacher, Vietnamese meditation teacher and monk Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, and he told the story of how when the Vietnamese were escaping their country in boats, you know, he, he realized that if everyone was, who was in the boat was panicking, then the lives of everyone in the boat would be at risk. But if only one person was able to maintain his or her calm, then the likelihood of survival was much greater. Hmm. So that is really an important thing to keep in mind that when we help ourselves, we're not really only helping ourselves, we're helping the people around us and the world. Um, So when we are in a situation where we don't have power and control, one of the best ways we can have control is about our, our state of mind, our own state of mind and what we express or what we put out into the world. So um, I think many of us feel that whatever happens in our mind, we are the victim of it. You know, if, if we have a thought, then we have to follow that. If we have a feeling, we have to go with that. But actually, true power in life is, and this is, this is the whole thing that people use meditation and other practices like that for, is to be able to feel a sense of personal power over our circumstances, our external and internal circumstances. So um, when, when the fear comes over us, when the anxiety comes over us, we have a choice, actually. It doesn't really feel like we have a choice. We can be paralyzed for a while like I was, but we have a choice about choosing to do something to help ourselves in that moment. And by doing that, we gain a sense of personal power over ourselves and our circumstances, which I think um, is really important these days. It's like I know for myself, the first choice that I made, which might sound kind of kind of silly to people, I made the choice that I wanted to live. Mm. You know, that was one way that I thought about this. I one of the things that I want to do in this to the best of my ability is to stay alive because I'm not going to be helpful to anybody or the world if I don't. I mean, and so that was then that choice guided me to think, okay, so if that's important to me, then how am I going to help myself with that? Um, other people can make other choices about that. And that's how we, by, um, by setting some personal guidelines for, our, for how we want to live with this, we can claim a sense of power and purposefulness. Um, so when we we want to get this feeling of personal power and if we don't feel that um, we need to first of all be able to calm ourselves to the point where the part of our brain the part of ourselves that can say okay this is what i want and this is how i'm going to get there that we have access to that and part of the way of doing that is that we have to learn to calm ourselves and the way we the way we calm ourselves, first of all, is with our bodies because our mind isn't, our brain isn't as fully online. So we can do that 
um, in a number of ways that I can talk about in a little bit, how to calm our nervous system. But the basic idea of getting personal power in a situation like this is to really be tuned into ourselves, to our own organism, and to notice when we are getting activated. Notice when we're in the fear or when we're um, being taken over by something. And recognizing it and naming it are very important. Like if we name something, it brings it more under our control. And then we can think to ourselves, okay, and I've really had to work with this during this time. You know, people always say, oh, well, you're a therapist. You should know. Well, I'm a therapist. I've had a lot of life experiences. The thing that makes me a good therapist is because I've had to live a lot of things. So I know what it feels like to be in those situations. So we really have to like pull ourselves back from wherever that is. Oh, you know, I'm terrified, I'm paralyzed, I'm listening to the news all the time. We have to kind of grab ourselves and pull ourselves back and say, okay, is that where I want to go? Is that where I want my attention to be? And then we have to forcefully move our attention to something else, you know, to listening to some good music, you know, to to uh, calling a loved one, you know, to putting our energy into what has value and meaning for ourselves. And that is not an easy thing to do. You know, it, it's, it's a discipline to do. But we can still help ourselves to the best of our ability with that. Hmm. We're speaking today on the morning show with therapist uh, Amy Champeau. She's speaking to us via Zoom from uh, her home uh, in Tucson, Arizona, where she now lives uh, and works. And uh, we are talking with her about uh, some of the ways in which uh, all of us can perhaps more healthfully deal with the kind of stresses and strains that are part of this current COVID-19 crisis and this time of social distancing uh, in which we are uh, finding ourselves. So uh, why don't you give us a few of your uh, practical suggestions when it comes to finding uh, greater calm <laughs> when we find ourselves, in a sense, being kind of hijacked by uh, some of these uh, outside uh, factors and influences that are, in a sense, taking us mental and e mentally and emotionally where we, where we don't want to go, or, or maybe where we can't be 24-7 uh, without going crazy. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of tools that people can use. I mean, at the very base level, um, we want to start with calming our bodies the best way we can. So just to make it really simple, um, having something that's soothing, like if you have a pet, you know, I mean, the way to soothe ourselves, prime, a primal way to soothe, soothe ourselves is with our senses. So, you know, if you have a pet, like petting, stroking the fur of the pet, um, is, or or having a soft blanket, or drinking some warm tea, something, I mean, somebody wrote that we could have a self-care toolkit. So um, the senses have to do with touch, taste, sight, hearing, smell. We could have something for each of those senses. So for touch, like I talked about, uh, stroking the fur of a pet, uh, having a soft blanket or a stuffed animal for taste. Maybe there's some kind of hot chocolate or um, something that tastes really good. 
Um, for some people with touch, even doing something shocking like holding some ice can be very helpful because these things bring us into, when, we, when we're with our senses, it brings us into the present. So we are, when, when we are in distress, it's usually because there's something from the past or something from the future that's bothering us. To bring ourselves into the present and the here and now is really useful. Um, being able, rocking in a rocking chair or smelling something nice like lavender or vanilla, those kinds of things can be helpful at a really base level um, to start to soothe ourselves so that we can then, when we're more soothed, we can bring our thinking part of ourselves back online so that we can help. But having some of these sort of go-to things can be really important. Um, when we move away from another thing that can be really helpful is a tool called orienting from somatic experiencing, which is a, um, a therapeutic approach to trauma using the body that I'm trained in. So one of the things we can do is to um, let our eyes just look around us and let them gaze on something it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be a great thing, but we let our eyes just soften and look at something. So the idea, idea with that is that when we're too stirred up inside of ourselves, we want to bring our attention to outside of ourselves. We, it, you know, we feel anxious because what's going on inside is so uncomfortable. So just letting our eyes softly gaze at something for a while can bring the nervous system, can bring our being down to a calmer state. Um, there are also then beyond that, if we're beyond the strictly physical, we can do things to help ourselves with, and this is physical too, but it takes a little bit more discipline is to do something with our breathing. Because when we're anxious, I always think about anxiety as a feeling of moving upwards like a volcano. Mm. So people that feel anxious, it might sort of start being uncomfortable in our belly and then it sort of moves up to the chest and feels like tight or something there. And then it moves up into our head where we can get all sorts of emotional experiences. So an idea is that we want to be able to bring our nervous system in the opposite direction. So we want to bring ourselves more downward and more grounded. Um, breathing can be useful for that, doing slow, controlled breathing, um, breathing in and out to a count of, I mean, there's all sorts of ways, but you can breathe into the count of five, out to the count of five. We can practice bringing our breath down towards our belly, like focusing on an exhale, bringing that breath downward so that that counteracts that upward movement of the anxiety. Um, I think Harvard uh, Business Review or some other department at Harvard had three suggestions for calming. One was yoga, one was meditation, and one was breathing. So if people can find something online, they can follow, or there's a million different podcasts and stuff out there of guided sort of meditations. Um, and then, then beyond that, there are some actual, beyond calming our physical system, we can do things and take actions that can be helpful. So there's, there's research that shows that um, sunlight can be very helpful 
for us, if you're in a place like Arizona where there's some abundant sunlight, you know, we're fortunate to have that. Getting outdoors safely can be useful. Um, I, this I have not seen on any of the things that I've read, but this was really helpful to me when I went through a lot of loss and extended period of anxiety was that for me, it was helpful to have something that I did regularly at the same time every week, preferably that involved other people. Um, so for me, what I did at that time in my life was that I had a regular folk dance group that I went to on Friday nights. Oh. Every time I went to that, I knew I had survived another week. <laughs> it can be the same thing if you have a regular appointment with a therapist. That can be one of those things. It can be, you know, you're online with your church community every Sunday. You've made it through. But having some regular event that, you know, for me, it was like, oh, wow, I've made it to this again. Mm -hmm. You know, a good thing. And I suggest a couple of other things. I mean, again, I have a lot more of this so that if people wanted handouts about it, I could certainly send them to them. But a couple of things now that I think are really important are we should really be thinking about what matters most. And that can really guide ourselves in terms of our resource versus distraction choices. Like at this point in one's life, it's a good opportunity to think about who am I? Who do I want to be going through this? How do I want to be with my loved ones? If later on I'm writing the story about how my life went through this, what would I be most proud of? Hmm. And then letting that guide our choices, you know, um, and, and along those lines, we can find some ways to, um, still find some joy, whether that's in beauty, music, like you, Greg, are giving us joy every night when you do your songs from Hillside every evening, which I look forward to. Um, myself, I was inspired by you in that. So I decided that what I was going to do every, every day was write a gratitude letter. Um, sometimes it would be to somebody that was actually living Sometimes it would be to something that wouldn't get a letter, but that, you know, it was something that I thought in doing something regularly that was within my ability to do, to give from myself um, and being able to offer something, you know, I think it's a good time for us to be looking at what we can offer, do our small or large bit. And then I think that, um, that it would, it's, and this is going back a little bit to soothing ourselves, but I think it's useful. And I have used this in my life during times I've been very anxious is that I have made a list of things I can do when I'm anxious and I put it in a place. I remember when one of the times I was anxious was when I was in graduate school and I was commuting to Chicago and I don't know, for some reason I was very anxious and I took the list and I put it on the front of my planner and I saw that every day that I looked at it because when we are in the throes of it, we often can't think what to do, but if we have a list of 10 things like, oh, I can go for a walk, I can drink some tea, I can call my loved one or whatever, then we can go to that and say, oh yeah, here's some things I can do. 
So those are, I mean, I could probably um, go on about all of this. Um, oh, here's another thing that people can do that I've used. And we can, when we're, we're in a, um, sometimes the part of us that's scared is not our most adult self. You know, sometimes that is a part of us. You know, if we have been a person who lived situations where we weren't kept safe or whatever, I mean, the parts of us that get scared are often more vulnerable aspects of ourself that might need some help from the more evolved parts of ourselves. So mm. sometimes we can use phrases, helpful phrases to, to calm ourselves like, you know, one that it's same Harvard article that I was talking about before. There was a statement in there. I went back and looked for the statement and it wasn't how I remembered it, but I taken from that somehow the statement, you have everything you need in order to be able to handle this. Hmm. And I memorized that statement inside of myself. And I would say that to myself when I would get anxious you know i mean even even if in a worst case scenario something happens where we become ill or a loved one be, becomes ill we can still help ourselves with a statement like that i have everything i need to be able to handle this um because we are resilient and we have already all of us who are listening to this have already handled things in our lives hmm. if you're an adult you've come through something and it's useful to think about how you've done that. You know, maybe, maybe a parent has died in the pet, you know, if we're of a certain age. You know, maybe you've had a loss of a job or there have been some other things. And we can really look at the resources that we already have that helped us get through that. You know, not only our own resources, but the resources of other people around. Hmm. So, and that's important to remember in this crisis that in some ways is so unprecedented in terms of its scale and the way that it has changed our lives. Uh, it's, it's easy to kind of jump to the conclusion that I've never faced this before. I don't know how to face this when in fact, a lot of this is tied up in, in other losses or other challenges that we've had that haven't been exactly the same, but have maybe called upon the same kinds of inner resources and inner strength and inner patience that uh, have seen us through other difficult moments in our lives. You've shared so much that's been helpful, and I want to uh, remind our listeners that you are happy to help people even beyond this uh, if they want to e uh, email you uh, at amyshampo at gmail.com, which is A-M-Y-C-H-A-M-P-E-A-U, amyshampo at gmail.com, or they are uh, invited to text you at 262-412-0646, 262-412-0646. Zero six four six. In case people want uh, even more resources and more ideas that you would have to offer, Amy Champeau, I really appreciate uh, how much you have shared in these uh, in these last few minutes about all that you've experienced and all the potential help that you've shared with everybody listening to this conversation. So I appreciate that so much, and uh, look forward to us talking again uh, in the in the near future. Yeah, thanks a lot, Greg. I'm so glad to have the opportunity to do this. And I just want to say that I am on online. I am offering counseling at, 
the ability to pay too. So in case somebody needs a, a talk. Very good. We, I hope people will keep that opportunity in mind as well. And Amy Champeau, thank you so much for being part of the morning show today. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Greg.